is annoying getting as good as I have on the bass guitar. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay, maybe annoying is not the right word. Maybe uh, frustrating, discouraging. Yeah, it gets pretty discouraging pretty quick when you get as good as I have uh, at an instrument. <laughs> okay, hold on. With, stick with me for a second here. I know this sounds super cocky, but anyone who has reached a certain level of proficiency at anything skilled that's taken time and discipline and focus knows this fact when it comes to measuring your progress. When you first start off learning anything, let's, I mean, let's, let's just take learning an instrument, for example. If we had to create a graph, if the, let's say the lower uh, horizontal line of the graph was time spent practicing and learning your instrument, uh, and then the vertical line was proficiency or tracking just how good you're getting over time, right when you first start off doing something, you have this massive spike. Like re like even within the first like week of starting something, you have this huge spike in proficiency because you just picked it up uh, and you go from knowing absolutely nothing to knowing something. That's astronomical. That's an easy measurement of progress. Uh, and that continues over your first years of learning something. But the, over time, the measurable amount of what it is you learn or you of your progress as a musician becomes more and more finite. It's smaller and smaller. You don't have these massive jumps like you did when you were first starting out. And I know this isn't just a music thing because of my conversations with friends over a wide variety of disciplines. I know that this exists in different areas of life too. The reason all this is really annoying or discouraging, I say, is because it's really easy to get frustrated or discouraged. Uh, when you get to a certain place in your uh, in in your relationship with a skill, for like let's just for me in music, when you get to a certain point uh, as a musician, it's easy to get super discouraged on yourself, uh, thinking, "Man, I just I feel like I'm stagnant. I feel like I'm not learning. I'm not. I feel like I'm I, I'm not growing as much as I once was. What's wrong with this?" Is it's not that there's a problem with you or your journey or your focus or your discipline, but as you become more and more proficient, your units of measurement become more and more precise. The reason I wanted to share this with you is because it's the beginning of the year. Most of us are thinking about, if not starting something new, uh, learning a new skill. Maybe you decided to learn an instrument for the very first time, or maybe you're like me. And you've been playing your instrument for years, and you've re you've reached a certain level of proficiency at it. But my goals this year are to still advance at that, and that becomes a little bit more vague when you start thinking that way because your units of measurements, like where do I want to be at the end of 2022 when it comes to my bass ability, uh, those units of measurements start like getting a little foggy. Yeah, they're harder to measure because I'm so focused in that my movement forward is smaller and smaller. And I thought about this today because I was recently listening to a talk by Adam Savage. If you haven't heard of who Adam Savage is, I love his stuff. And you go to YouTube, pull up Adam Savage Tested. He's best known for his time uh, on the show called Mythbusters. But, I mean, back in the day, he used to work for 
ILM, George Lucas's company, as a prop builder. And so he was making small miniature models that were used in movies. Uh, but recently he was giving a talk about units of measurement when it comes to specifically to machining. And he was, he was talking about how the closer you look at something, the harder it is to measure. If you look at something that's like, you'd say, yep, I measured on a tape measure, this is an inch. Well, if you'd get a microscope and you'd really dive into the microns or the nanometers of it, when you start getting precise, things start getting hard. I wanted to, So I want to share a clip of him sharing his thoughts on all this. And you can just, you can listen to it uh, just when it comes, like it comes to measuring and machining. That's totally fine. I think that's the reason, that's what he is talking about technically. But if you listen to this metaphorically, like I was, it gets really interesting. Sure, he's talking about measuring and cutting steel. But in my mind, as I was listening to it, I couldn't help but think about how I personally measure my growth or just measure myself as a person throughout the year. I'm oftentimes tempted to think uh, in things that are binary where, well, have I, am I this or am I this? How far have I come? But as Adam says, true, precise measurement doesn't work that way. He says all measurement is a compromise of circumstance. It's not just a thing. It's the environment in which the thing exists. There's no such thing as an actual measurement. And so I want to share it with you. Because in three months, when I start shitting on myself, like I know I'm going to, when I start uh, start judging my movement, when I start looking at how far have I come, it's I know for a fact because it's been this way in the past. It it's going to be easy to get down on myself. Oh, I'm not where I thought I was. Oh my gosh! Look at the past two years with COVID and the pandemic and everything that's happened in the world. Man, oh man, you know I was hoping to do all these things these past couple of years. I was hoping to accomplish this with all my free time at home. Uh, and I didn't accomplish anywhere near any of that stuff. It's easy to look at that and get down on myself. But I have to remind myself when it comes to measurement, you've got to account for environment. Now, I, 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 I really want this discussion to, I, I, how do I say this? I want, the, I want to apply the philosophy I'm going to talk about today to everything. So I want to restate my definition of making, which is making is anytime you reach out with your point of view and make something from nothing. So while what I do in here is very easily definable as making, I have run into many coders, photographers, writers who think of themselves as not makers people in all sorts of different fields. And I submit that making is anytime you use your point of view to make something from nothing. That could be a poem, it could be a dress, it could be a, a book or a table, you never know. Um, but how do I, how do I wanna zoom out? Um, when we set out to become better at a task, Making is not a static occupation. It's not a static thing. It's not like you told me how to make a, a, a paper mache stick figure and I'm just going to make that for the rest of my life. No, 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 no. There's, we make something, we get better at making it. We have a point of view about it. We progress. And that progression is the whole point of life. Seriously, that progression is the reason that we are here. When Monet painted the first Impressionist painting, Impression Sunrise, it was an intense thing in the world that it happened in. 
That was not what people did with painting. Uh, it's hard for us to recognize just how radical that was. But there was a critic at the time, I wish I could remember their name, but there was a critic at the time who went and saw Impression Sunrise and didn't understand it. And they said they kept going back to it because it didn't make sense. And then they explained that at a certain point, they had new eyes and then they were able to see it. I love this idea about new eyes and it's something that I'm addicted to. And I want to explain that you have almost certainly experienced it as well. So let's say you play the guitar. Uh, when you first picked up a guitar, it is a mystifying arrangement of tension, vibration, resonance, tonality, and you started noodling with it. But you didn't have any point of view about how stiff the strings should be or what the tonality should be. You were just playing. And then as you got better at playing the guitar or any instrument you have learned, the kazoo, seriously, it doesn't matter. At a certain point, you get past the beginner mode and you start having points of view and you start seeing what you can't do and you start trying to burn new pathways to learn how to do those things you can't do. And at each stage, you are gaining new eyes. Same thing with the camera, same thing with driving a car professionally. Um, archery, right? That each of these, each, each, every discipline that you would undertake, that you could undertake and become better at, involves you being able to see new heights and it's climbing. So I have recently had that understanding within metrology. We're bringing it all the way back to gauge blocks now. I have had that understanding within the science of measuring things. And let me be really clear, the tool I'm talking about today, gauge blocks, is not a tool I am worthy of. And what I mean, that's not a value judgment. It's that my machining skills have not reached the point at which these are a highly necessary tool for me. They are a every now and then, maybe sometimes tool. But I do understand how they fit into my, the cosmology of machining that I do. And I didn't quite understand that before. And I would like to give you my understanding because, well, frankly, every time I understand something more about the world, I get a serious endorphin rush and it feels good. And I'd like you to feel the same, the same rush. So let's talk about measuring things. Let's talk about measuring things seems to be like where science meets its total purpose because, well, you know, I can measure this, I can measure this sign that I, liberated from a boathouse in Westchester County sometime in the 70s. I can measure this sign and I can tell you it's 12 inches by 22 inches. And I mean, that is, those are facts, right? How could you dispute that this is 12 by 24 inches? I'm about to explain why that is not the actual measurement of this and why all measurement is a compromise of circumstance. At a certain point, when accuracy is paramount, you don't measure empirically, you measure comparatively. And I'll, I'll show you what that means. So this is a three quarter inch gauge block. It has been calibrated to be plus or minus three quarters of an inch. Actually, wait, I can tell you from its certification sheet. The three quarter inch gauge block, hold on, 0.75. Hang on, 0.75. Um, when you buy a set of gauge blocks, it comes with a chart. Each block has been calibrated. And my gauge block, the 0.75 gauge block, is calibrated to 
a variance of 2.7 microns. A certificate of inspection in which every single one of these blocks was tested in a facility for testing the nanometer accuracy of these guys. That has all been done at 68 degrees Fahrenheit, plus or minus 1.8 degrees. All of these measurements are only measurements that you can count on if the ambient temperature in your shop is within, uh, within 1.8 degrees. So you can only use these as reference measurements that you can count on 100% if they are being measured at exactly 68 degrees Fahrenheit plus or minus 1.8 degrees. Everything expands and contracts because of heat. Everything. Everything in the world expands and contracts because of heat. The main cables that hold up the 4,000 plus foot long Golden Gate Bridge, the main cables that hold it up are 16 feet longer in the middle of the day under bright sunshine than they are in the middle of the night. That's how much steel can expand. Now those main cables are probably 6,000 feet long, 5,000 feet long, I don't know. Uh, I haven't done the math for a catenary curve, et cetera, on a suspension bridge, but I know the bridge is about four and a half thousand feet long. So whatever those cable lengths are, they are 16 feet longer in the middle of the day than they are at night. That's because steel expands and contracts. You might think, um, it's a surprising number, it was surprising to me the first time I heard it, but I still would imagine when I'm in my shop making something like this, how much does heat matter? Well, when I'm measuring the internal dimension of this, if I've just machined it and it's hot, I'm going to get a substantively different measurement than when it's cold. And that can lead you to some really difficult problems as a machinist if you're not accommodating for that. And this is the last place I wanna go because if I am machining a piece of steel, these ceramic blocks, which are incredibly stable. They're way more stable than steel. That is, they expand and contract less under thermal conditions, under variant thermal conditions. They expand and contract less than steel blocks do. And while that sounds like it's ideal because we all kind of live in a mental world where things are one measurement or the other measurement, they are black or white, we try and separate the world into categories that we can parse. That's what science roughly is. <sighs> So it would seem that if I have a reference that is stable, that's fantastic. But there are occasions in which it is not because if I am machining steel and I use a set of steel gauge blocks, these are far less accurate blocks. I don't even think that they've been hardened. I think they are simply ground and lapped. These were like, sorry, let's just be clear. This is a grade zero set of Sarah blocks that was a gift to me from Mitutoyo for some of the videos I made last year about my antique Mitutoyo equipment. They asked me if there was something that I wanted. I said, I am not worthy of most of your tools, but I would be happily, I would happily be the steward of a set of Sarah blocks if you had them. And they did, they, they sent me this. And this is thousands of dollars. I, 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 this is a tool I would not have tried to afford at this moment in time. Um, I don't think I'm worthy of it, but I love having it and I am starting to get, as I said at the beginning of this video, I'm starting to get to know how to use this. However, for practical machining of steel blocks, I need a bench, a, 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 like a workshop set of gauge blocks. This is like 300 bucks. Um, it has the same distribution. It also comes with a chart of exactly how accurate these gauge blocks are and no surprise, they're actually 
far less accurate, far less like tight to their dimensions than the, than the Sarah blocks are. The advantage that the steel gauge blocks have is that they're steel. And if I'm working with steel, I don't need to do any adjustment for temperature in the room. Because the reason the Sarah blocks are accurate plus or minus 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit is that a few degrees Fahrenheit can cause these blocks to expand or contract by a few nanometers. And they've already been calibrated within a few nanometers. So those they're only gonna stand by those calibrations at a specific temperature. And if sub-micron, sub-micron -nanom sub nanometer accuracy is absolutely critical, and for certain things in the medical in industry and like high precision, tiny nanomachines, it absolutely is, you have to accommodate for the temperature in the room. And if you're working with steel and you have steel gauge blocks, you don't need to worry about the calibration because they're both under the same conditions. So if it's 75 degrees in here and I'm working with steel, I can be assured that my the steel I'm working with is expanding and contracting to roughly the same amount that the gauge blocks are, and thus I can just use these rather than having to make an adjustment. I know, this was like, I really hope this was clear or at least somewhat clear, for me, the understanding, oh, right, let's talk about my central understanding at the end of all this, because this came about from reading this like 30-page paper on gauge blocks. Uh, sorry, by the way, gauge blocks were invented by Carl Edward Johansson in 1896, and they really, really, really helped push forward the Industrial Revolution, because they allowed for a repeatable, reliable metric by which two different shops could make something and be assured that those two things would um, work with each other. Yeah, that's significant. And I mean, like there are stories about like, they, they made like a hundred sets at the beginning and they were surpassingly expensive. And then they figured out ways to lap them and make them less expensive. But even still, the, 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 the ceramic blocks, you know, a really high quality set can be thousands and thousands of dollars because of the precision that has gone into their manufacturing and their calibration. All of this comes into my head, and the conclusion I come to is there's no such thing as an actual measurement. I am like a bull in a china shop. There's no such thing as an actual measurement. So early on in Mythbusters, we were doing an episode about swimming in syrup. Is swimming in syrup just as fast as swimming in normal water? Because, uh, and the myth is that it is. Because while you have a thicker material to push through, you have a thicker material to push against. And those two forces cancel each other out. And thus, in the myth, as stated, you can swim just as fast in syrup as you can in water. We tested it. Uh, and we found out that it's true. But that's not the point of the story. The point is, is that when we were first researching uh, uh, the fluid dynamics of syrup, et cetera, I found out, well, I knew that this whole episode uh, 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 intersected with viscosity. I knew viscosity was a concept we had to talk about. And so I found out that the study of viscosity is called uh, tribology. I found out that there was an international 
what do you call it? House of Tribologists, uh, International Association of Tribologists. There's a president of Tribologists and he has a phone number on the website and I called his, I called his phone number and he picked up and I said, hey, I'm, I'm Savage, I work for Mythbusters, I'm doing this thing about swimming in syrup and I want to do an analog test, I told him, about viscosity. And like, is that as simple as me just taking a jar full of a liquid and poking a specific size hole and timing how long it takes for the liquid to run out? And in his response to me, I could tell he was a little upset. And the reason it turned out as we began to talk about it is because my question was not even wrong. I was thinking of viscosity as a specific quantifiable property of a liquid. Let's say it's maple syrup. I was asking him, how do I tell the public on a, in an analog test how thick this syrup is? And the problem is, is that that's not how viscosity isn't a singular value you can give to something. Viscosity is a relationship between the liquid and all sorts of environmental factors. The kind of vessel that it's in, the sort of pressures that it's under, the heat that it is under. This is why motor oil for your car is a range. It is a range of viscosity. It's not a specific viscosity because it has a range whether it's cool or warm. So my question about an analog test for an absolute value was not even in the right ballpark for the way he professionally understood viscosity. And he gave me a deep understanding that afternoon. And it wasn't until this week when I was reading the papers about gauge blocks and trying to wrap my head around them that I realized that all measurement effectively falls under the same blurry outlines, which is, look, we don't have any trouble, all of us, agreeing that this is 12 by 24 inches or whatever the hell I said it was. We understand that the measurements that I gave for this are reasonable and tight within parameters that we would all need to know to work with a sign like this. But when we get really precise and we say, how big is it? The answer is, well, it depends. And the idea of, well, it depends, is a reasonable answer to give for a piece of steel that is four inches long and it might be four inches and 20 nanometers at one temperature and four inches, the 3.99995 inches at another temperature. I find that an endorphin rush. That's the thing. I find that I get an endorphin rush from that level of clarity that the closer you look at stuff, the harder it is to measure. And there's a classic map makers thing of you can't measure a coastline too carefully. Like what, what distance are you measuring it at? One mile off the ground? A hundred feet off the ground? One inch off the ground? All three of those as you trace the path of water around a shoreline are gonna change. I mean, also because the shoreline is fractal and the deeper in, the more detail you're going to see. The same applies across all, the same rules apply across all measurement. So science is always about looking in finer and finer increments at the world and the universe and the fundamental building blocks of them in order that we may understand the grammar by which all this stuff runs. The most surprising and thrilling thing is the deeper you go, the more interrelated everything is. 
the more all things and their measurements and their values are interrelated to their environment and the things around them and their conditions that they're under. And I find that strangely reassuring and beautiful. Because again, when a, a, a superior machinist is trying to achieve a perfect fitment between two parts, whatever perfect fitment means for that project, the measurements only get them so far. Because they need, they need an understanding in here of how those measurements interrelate, both environmentally and specifically, uh, in order to achieve the precision that they're looking for. And I know this has been like the longest tooltip I have ever done, and I hope it's not too deep in the weeds. Um, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of like that endorphin rush that I got. Thank you guys so much. I'm Adam Savage. I'll see you next time.